Hi, I'm Jason Marcos. And I'm Barry Hamaguchi. This is Flop Redeemer, the podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. Today, I'm talking about Cher's 1982 post-disco flop, I Paralyze, which didn't just paralyze her music career, it shot it and put it in a five-year coma. I like that. I like that. (laughs) Well, good morning. The decade that Cher almost disappeared from our lives. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we forget, or maybe not we forget, the thing about Cher is she never disappeared right? Her music career took a hiatus, but she was super present still, um, super prolific. And even in the years before, you know, in, in doing my research, like she'd had a series of commercial and critical failures um, for like, I want to say the f- seven years leading up to this album. So it's it's really interesting. I didn't realize that like, until I had done the research, I didn't realize like how poorly her music career was going at that point, even though she was incredibly popular as an entertainer, Mm -hmm. her music was not successful. So we'll get into that later. Yeah. I mean, my recollection of Cher throughout the eighties, that whole idea that what is it like after the apocalypse, there'll be cockroaches and Cher. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that was never like an indicator that everything she did was good. (laughs) No, it was just that she had this. Um, it was just that she know, would keep knack. doing things, you yeah, know? for coming back from the dead, essentially. Because it was really that thing. I, I, I think personally, and maybe this is just my perception as a child of the '80s, that like Cher was not cool in the '80s, and that is the thing. It well, she wasn't cool until the late '80s. I mean, right? even so, okay, so <clears throat> so you know, I know we're going to be hyper focused on what we're talking about today, but. I want to say that, yeah, like, well, <laughs> in, ter- in terms of Cher becoming cool in the late 80s, um, God, I, as a, what, like, nine, nine-year-old child, I thought mm-hmm. If I Could Turn Back Time was incredibly tacky. <laughs> well, you and the N- U.S. Navy, both. And Tipper Gore. Um, I'm sure Tipper Gore hated it. Yeah, I'm sure she had, like, an aneurysm. <laughs> um, I just remember being like, oh, I mean... I think nowadays, in retrospect, it's like, oh, like, you go, share, like, let your butt hang out and sit on... Was she sitting on a cannon? Is that what that... She's straddling the cannon of the USS Missouri. And, like, assless chaps. literal site where they signed the papers that ended World War II. And the U.S. Navy was beside itself because (laughs) they did not know that she was going to be wearing a leather thong and fishnets. Um apparently the storyboards had shown her in a jumpsuit. Oh. And so they didn't see her until (laughs) the camera started rolling and she appeared on deck and the naval officer, like like they have a Hollywood press relations officer, um, was trying to get the director to stop filming until she could go back and change and he refused. So they went ahead with it. The veterans associations were just... They they decided themselves, mm-hmm. it, and so it ended up being banned during the day. It was, it was the first video on MTV to be banned, um, and was only allowed to play after ten o'clock p.m. And that just added to its notoriety, obviously. Yeah. And Cher at the time was forty, forty eight, no forty, 
She no, she just turned forty. She turned forty in nineteen eighty six. This was and this came out in so like 40, 43, So she was like forty three. Oh look, Barry, it could have been you. I I know. Could have been out there, ass hanging out. I'd still. Do oh my it. god, you really sh- you should do that for your uh, birthday. No. Live the shared dream. No. no. <laughs> you and Cher, um, same age. Anyway. But and so that's the thing is like I think that like that's a perfect example of something that like in retrospect is an iconic achievement. But like at the time, I mean. I was like, what, like nine years old when this song came out. Um, I thought it was like really cringy. Well, and I think that's the thing with Cher. She's always been kind of like she, you know, for a certain group of people, mostly gay men, like she's this icon of glamour and she has been very glamorous, but it's always been very um received two ways, right? You have mm-hmm. the ones who think of it as very glamorous and just, yeah, go you you know she's the iconoclast she kind of goes against whatever the norms are and then you have the other people who are just like god this she's been tacky for decades right yeah. like so i mean it, it that wasn't anything new people were talking about it in the 70s whether whether or not she was cool i think there was an air of coolness to her at times but she's certainly hyper aware of when she's not cool like you know you, she 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 knew and you know with with this album that we're going to talk about today and this song um you know she left for five years right like mm. i mean it, it was kind of kind of the nail in the coffin for a while until she could figure something else out i will say that those five years are the five years that she focused on her acting career she was uh the same year this came out she started filming silkwood with meryl streep and kurt russell which uh for which she earned a golden globe um she was oscar nominated for it as well then she went on to do um, Mask. She did, um, I don't remember if Witches of Eastwick was during this time or not, but. I think so. She, and uh, she, Moonstruck. She, she gets Moonstruck, which she wins an Academy. She wins the Oscar for Best Actress in the same year her comeback song, I Found Someone, comes out in 1987. So those five years, she kind of took time to fulfill the acting dream that she'd always had she'd she'd wanted to be an actress from the beginning reaches the top of that and at that time i guess she's she's got the respect and she has some cachet and is to your point cool again and comes out with i found someone on the share album 1987 and that kind of brings us to the 80s early 90s share rock share that we know today i didn't realize it was so late in the 80s until i had gone in you know i sometimes with 80s music i can't tell what part of the decade it falls into because the 80s music is so wide ranging i feel like mm-hmm. and particularly 80s rock there's like new wave there's like sort of like punk disco there's the power ballads you know anthem rock stadium rock it, it's hard to believe that it all came out of like it's almost like you can plug and play sometimes. Like yeah. something from the late eighties could also you think it's from the late eighties came out in like the early eighties. You know, it's it's very strange. I mean, I also I also wonder how much of that has to do with the <clears throat> fact that like we were alive during that period, but not like sentient, mm-hmm. and so we have this misleading sense. Because I go through this with the eighties as well, and just my perception of like the, especially from like seventy eight to like eighty six i get through this like sense of like well i thought i i thought i knew what the 80s were like but then revisiting Mm -hmm. it now i'm like was i even there like and and also the sense that like for a long time i 
I thought of like music from like 78 to 83 as being exceptionally stupid, mm-hmm. like yeah. just unlistenable. And it's only like as an adult now that I started listening to music like like really recently I started getting into like Elvis Costello or I started getting into like Squeeze or like Talking Heads or Pretenders, like a lot of the music that those acts released between 78 and 82 where I'm like, why did I hate this for so long? And I think it's cause it's like, uh, there's a certain time period where like music is antithetical to the music that you come of age to. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. when we were coming of age in, you know, the 90s. early, early to mid nineties, the music that our ears were trained to was like the antithesis of like yeah. early eighties yeah. stuff. Um, but, and, and you know, that's neither here nor there. No, I, I, but I think that's entirely the point of of this 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 podcast episode. Yeah. I mean, that you know, when I think of the eighties, right? I was so this song, "I Paralyze," came out the same year I was born. It essentially she went and promoted it on American Bandstand the week I was born. Huh. So it's 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 very strange, or I guess the month before I was born. But um. I don't want anyone going into the thing and like tracking it down and be like, no, you were wrong. Fact checkers. It was in May. <laughs> um, but, you know, my growing up in the 80s, I was surrounded by family that was m- less rock influenced and more R&B soul influenced. So like my 80s is like Lionel Richie, Luther Vandross, um, Patty Austin and Michael McDonald, right? We talked about Patty LaBelle. We talked about... You know, Whitney Houston's album comes out during during um, the mid '80s, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's like if you look at just the pop and R and B side, it's so different from what's happening on the rock side, right? Like, mm-hmm. whereas now I feel like there's so much more crossover. People are doing so many more things that, like, I, I mean, maybe in hindsight we'll look back in the 2000s, 2010s. 2020s era and be like oh there was that much variety and there probably is but like being able to look at all of these songs that i love and then realizing that i mean some of them came out in the same year like mm-hmm. for example well i don't know if we want to talk about it now no why don't ahead. we just i mean well are, wait, wait oh, oh you're, are you gonna go no, into I was, your main I was gonna, narrative well no i was gonna just talk about like what the hot 100 was for like some like a selection of the Hot 100 for 1982. Oh, okay, set the scene. Go go set for it. Set the scene, and you tell me if you rem- realize that all of these songs came out in the same year, and that okay. all of them are going to be 40 years old this year. <laughs> okay. Okay. okay, so Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Okay, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Okay, I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Huh. Okay. Don't You Want Me by The Human League. Uh-huh. Jack and Diane by John Cougar. Okay. Tainted Love, Soft Cell. All right. I Can't Go For That, Holland Oates. Huh, okay. Always On My Mind by Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I thought, uh, because the first time I heard that song, honestly, was when Fantasia Barino covered it on American Idol in, what, 2003? Yeah. <laughs> wasn't that, that was an Elvis song, though, wasn't it? It was, it okay. was, but like, but it had a she resurgence. Did like the Willie, she did like the Willie Nelson version cover. Okay. Like, and so that was also 1982. Let It Whip by the Daz Band came out in 1982, which was like pure disco. Do not know that song. It's like, let it whip, dip it, baby. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. I which, mean, that's, that's kind of more 
it's that it's straddling. Just, it's like the... it, 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 it leans a little, maybe more funk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but it's again, it's like it's a survivor, a survivor others. of the death of disco. Yeah, I mean, but just like you have Eye of the Tiger, yeah. and later on in the year you have Let It Whip. We got the beat by the Go Go's. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That Leather tracks. and Lace by Stevie Nicks and Don Henley. Even the nights are better by Air Supply. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Every little thing she does is magic by the police. police? And okay. Edge of and Edge Edge of Seventeen by Stevie Nicks. Love that song. Um, I know. I but I I wouldn't necessarily have thought they all came out in 1982. Like it. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Feels, I, uh, yeah. I guess a lot of those songs, especially like the more. I I guess I would think more of the dancey disco songs as having been earlier. Mm-hmm. Some of those rock songs also I would have thought were earlier. Like I didn't mm-hmm. realize like Joan Jett and the Blackhearts would have been like 82. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that's kind of always been around by the time I was aware of it, right? And so it's the flattening kind of effect of I I really do think it's it's it has a lot to do with radio formats. And you listen to certain rock stations when we were growing up or whatever and they don't necessarily say the the date when they came out. Even even oldies, right? Um, some nights they might be like, "Well, it's '60s Saturday," or you know, <laughs> "Tonight we're playing the '70s," and so you get a sense for what decade they're in. But a lot of times, it's just they play all of these songs in succession, and you have they may as well have all been at the same time or not, right? You don't know because it's just coming over the airwaves at you. Yeah, I, I mean, all of that added to the fact that i mean we were barely alive when all this happened i know i i didn't yeah i mean i was 82 come on <laughs> like the by the time i was listening the first time i was really listening like to and aware of like songs that came out at that time period would have been the early 90s when i was like hanging out or late 80s early 90s hanging out in the back seat of my aunt's car you know yeah like, we'd be driving around and she she listened to like lots of different music and my parents had 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 a lot of records that I don't think they actually bought. I'm pretty sure that like they inherited them from like, because <laughs> my parents were like deeply Christian at that point. So like they would add like Christian records to it, but like all of the non-Christian music that was in their collection had come from like my grandparents or like my aunts or someone like kind of like came through that way. What's funny is that I was looking at a lot of songs for the episode that I was researching for this mm-hmm. week. And in a similar way, I can say that about now that like I'll look at songs and be like, holy shit, like this song came out in 2018. That was four years ago. And it feels like brand new to me still. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially the equivalent of me thinking that a song that came out in 1982 actually came out in like 86. Yeah. Which would be my recollection <clears throat> for a song like, um, did you say Take On Me was 1982? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, I think so. No, no, no. Um, and, um, it was, um, oh, Don't You Want Me. Oh, Don't You Want Me. Like, if you had told me that song came out in 86, I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. But that's the same yeah. thing as me now mistaking songs that, yeah, that came out in 2018 versus 2014 or 2018 versus 2022. Yeah. Who knows yeah. how long it's been since Beyonce's released music or Drake. Like, wait, you know what? You know who's a good example is Rihanna. Oh, when yeah. I hear a Rihanna song, I'm like, wait, what year was that? And Golden all, oldies. Like, you get them all mixed up. It's like 10 years at this point. More. Rude more Boy? What was that? Like 12 years ago? And I'm like, was Rude, Rude Boy, was that on Rated R? What was it? I don't have no idea. I don't yeah. remember. 
so much Rihanna music. Who could know? Anyway. Anyway, um, should we take it to break and you can come yeah. back for the meat? All right. Um, yeah. I would like to let people know that songs and videos. Is this script right? Is this what the, is this what it always said? I didn't change it. I, I, I know we never change it. It's just like <laughs> looking at the words now. I was like, is this what it always said? Anyway, songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, check us out on social media at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com uh, facebook.com slash flopredeemer and email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com. We'll be right back. back jason is here to tell us about share and her 1982 1982 1982 1982 single i paralyze i i'm i'm here for it i live it's yeah you know and so barry you are responsible for this because a couple weeks episodes ago you talked about or maybe it was just the last episode you talked about the 20 year what, slump. The 20 year slump. And like, what can you expect from someone 20 years in? And like, how how reasonable is it to expect that, you, that an artist, any artist, 20 years into their career, would be able to still remain on top of the pop culture heap, right? And have mm-hmm. their pulse on what the public is wanting. And, you know, one of the examples that you gave of someone in this slump was Cher in 1982. Now it's a little bit it's a little bit before the 20 years like her, their first um she had her first Billboard uh number 1 hit in 1965. So we're about 18 years in. But mm-hmm. you know, by this point, by 1982, Cher was like one of the most recognized women in the world. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? Sorry. Oh no, I was going to say she didn't even make it the two decades. No, no, she didn't. Well, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, you know, again, it's the metric by which we, is it just number ones or, I mean, the thing is, and we kind of touched on this in the, in the top of the episode, she was an icon at that point, still like still high and in in very high demand, but her music was not, shall we say. She was kind of like the Rihanna. (laughs) I mean, people wanted music, but she was known for her glamorous appearances. She was known for other things that she was doing at the time. By that point, 18 years in. So just a little, you know, just a reminder of who Cher is, right? In 2022, Cher is the only artist to have a number one single on a Billboard chart in six consecutive decades from the 1960s to the 2010s. She's held Billboard Hot 100 number one singles over the longest period of time in history, 33 years, seven months, and three weeks between I Got You, Babe, which topped the chart for the first time in August 14, 1965, and Believe, whose last week at number one was April 3rd, 1999. And with Believe, she became the oldest female artist to have a U.S. number one song in the rock era at the age of 52. In 1988, Cher also became the first performer to receive an Academy Award for acting and a Recording Industry of America certified gold album in the same year since the inception of Gold Awards in 1958. So, Cher. Just, if you don't know who Cher is, Google her. 
Um, what are you doing listening to this podcast? I've said that before, but come on. Um, and I know you don't like it, but her most recent album, uh, which was a ABBA covers album. Terrible. Which which really was Cher just indulging ABBA karaoke, mm-hmm. which, look, she's Cher. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't need to prove anything to me. Mm-mm. She doesn't owe no. me anything. I'm no, just saying, a lot not, of fun. not everything that Cher has done is good. And that's well, fine. And, and that is the point of this episode. I mean, so much of what she did was not resonating. And I think that that actually contributes to her legacy as like a diva, especially to gay men, is that aspect of the missteps, the missteps that then become iconic in retrospect like mm-hmm. i i really look at this album cover now for this album i paralyze and i think like i really want to own a physical copy of this and like frame it and put it on my wall because it's it's insane looking <laughs> it is insane and i want to tell you barry you should try and find it i was looking actually because the you know we'll get into it but the, the more i listen to this album the more i like it but it is becoming one of the more rare share albums and it's much harder to find like so if you do want it, so it, and and Barry, why don't you describe the album cover? Because you're the one who found it and I had not seen this ever. Well, I was trying to think about like, I, I, I think I was talking to you. I was like, I can't remember if it was like a Warholian looking portrait of her. It's not. It's like a weird photograph of her. She's wearing these 80s like alien bug eye sunglasses. And maybe is this the introduction to big hair share? No. No, no, okay. She's oh, so had she big had, hair before. Okay, because I remember we went. We we somehow get from flat hair share to big hair share. It's 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 like nineteen seventy nine is probably the beginning of big hair share. This is this is so this you're is a few years after. This is solidly in the middle of big hair share. She's got her alien sunglasses on. She's got like a what is that a tiara? Uh, is it a um a diadem perhaps? It's something in her. Yes, there's something in her hair, but there's also like light tracers, right? Like you know, like it has like that kind of effect. Um, it's it's all the it's all it's the almost new, like a nagel too almost like, like a, a nagel it's very new wave it's um she's got very distinct triangles of blush applied directly below her cheekbones in a very um i don't know if that would pass muster in today's uh beauty influencer community what um, do you call yeah it's not it's like a chain it's not a it's like a She's got a chain, like a Cleopatra chain, that goes right above on her forehead, just below the hairline. It's like, it's like not over the hair; it's under the hair. Is it like that thing in the Neverending Story where the the queen of uh, Oh my gosh, what oh, was yeah. the what, Ivory Tower? Or whatever. Yeah, she and in? she comes in. She has that like little. Is it a diadem? Is the, that what they're called? I don't know. Tiara. I don't know. People Google share. <laughs> I paralyze, and it's gonna sound weird to you because. What the hell does that mean? Grammatically correct sentence? I don't know. Is it correct? I no, I, that's what I'm saying. It's g- g- grammatically correct question mark? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's like, what? Like, I paralyze. And you're like, is that what you describe yourself as doing when you're paralyzed? I paralyze? Is that what she's Isn't saying? like, yeah. Oh, okay. Because she's talking about like she freezes. Oh, okay. And I'm like, What? <laughs> But this album cover is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's it is so quintessentially '80s new wave like type of artwork. 
right? It is the first single. I Paralyze is the first single from Cher's 17th studio album. So she'd been around since 1965. This was her 17th studio album. When Cher was asked by Rolling Stone in 1999 to name a favorite single of her own, she responded, there are two and neither of them were hits. One was I Paralyze, which I find fascinating (laughs) because... I did not know this song until Barry brought it up when he was researching for Mariah, the Mariah Carey Triumphant episode. And it sent me down this hole because I realized, you know, like we were talking about in the beginning of the episode, my understanding of Cher from the 80s is like, if I could turn back time, I found someone, etc. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like all of the 80s. Do you know what I mean? Like, I did not know there was more. (laughs) I didn't know there was anything at the top of the decade. I mean, you know, again, like, Tina Turner had her resurgence in the 80s, right? And was doing um, What's Love Got to Do With It, all of that, Private Dancer in the 80s. Like, again, it's just, I just thought that, like, this decade was ruled by that stuff. Mm -hmm. Not these polite new wave, um, you know, Polite New Wave, I think, was how People Magazine described it um, when they reviewed this album. And they also they also uh, said that um, it sounds like she has her tongue literally and figuratively in her cheek when she's singing this, talking about her swallowing her vowels. Is that like signature share, though? Like It is, but they were like, that is way more pronounced in this. And okay. I would like to push back on People Magazine and be like, people, calm down. Because, no. I've listened to this. I have listened to this album and song almost more than any other share things lately and so i feel like i have a good handle on it it's fine um <laughs> you know like it's it, it's really surprising so like the the way this comes about share well let me just keep describing the song it's again kind of it's kind of new wavy and and even within the album so the album is also called i paralyze even within the album this song is very different Mm-hmm. Everything else on the album sort of feels like a precursor to her later big rock, power rock share. This album is very like almost tinny in its synthy synthiness. It's like weird synths. So the reason that is, is she worked with John Farrar, who was most known for his work with Olivia Newton-John at that point. Um, he He produced and wrote a lot of the songs... Um, so 1977, 1978, like Grease comes out. He mm-hmm. does, he works with Olivia Newton-John, comes, c- writes all of those songs, basically. You're the one that I want, Hopelessly Devoted, um, um, Have You Never Been Mellow? All of these songs for Olivia Newton-John. She's like an icon at this point as well. Like in, by the time 82 comes around, 1982, her, Olivia Newton-John's song with John Farrar, Physical, comes out. And so keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because <laughs> late, so so the first the first in the first month of 1982, physical comes out, and it's physical is such a weird song too, um, for Olivia Newton John. Um, it's one of her most iconic, but it was also it's like very controversial because apparently, so Olivia Newton John had like this squeaky clean image coming out of Greece, mm-hmm. and then with like all of her other music, physical is basically about being like frustrated, like. I want to get physical. I want to have sex. I'm tired of all the talk. You know, we, we spend all this time talking and being polite. We need to like get in the bedroom. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> she was apparently like they had, so they had done, they had recorded the song. Her team had recorded the song. And then she panicked because it was so sex forward. So it was her idea to put together a music video, which the music video is now iconic mm-hmm. for physical that features a whole bunch of men. It's very homoerotic, like working out in a gym and working out with each other. And then don't the two guys walk off at the end? Four together? of them do oh, okay. at the end. Like, so two <laughs> separate couples of men like grab hands and then walk through the double doors and look back at over their shoulders at Olivia Newton John. And it's 1982. I mean, that's pretty that was pretty bold for for someone like Olivia Newton John. Um, and for something that was this high profile. And so the the idea was that the video made it seem more like working out, even though everyone knew it was like tongue in cheek. Sure, sure. Like it, it made it more palatable. And so the reception was huge. I mean, it went to number one. Yeah. Um, it was only banned in two places, Utah and South Africa. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. it's an interesting way to desexualize Olivia Newton-John by basically creating this like hypersexual video where it turns out at the end that she's not the object of their attraction, the, right? their attraction. It's like they're attracted to each other. And so it wasn't, it was like, she, it was displaced. It, it's interesting that that was done in an attempt to like desexualize her, you know, mm-hmm. that that's mm-hmm. the, that's the, that's the route you go basically. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of brilliant. It's amazing. It's crazy, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Like it. Yeah. It's really interesting. So that comes out January. It goes to number one. I Paralyze is released in May later that year. Okay. And I Paralyze, again, shares working with the same songwriter producer on this, John Farrar. And it opens with these very weird, discordant sounding synths, like, and jagged synth horns or guitars. It's really hard to tell. Like, there's, it's got a weird, like, honky tonk, country ish sort of vibe, even though it's, New wave rock, like it, it. It's hard to place what you're listening to. It definitely doesn't sound like a pop song. It definitely doesn't sound like you know what you're going to be getting into. It's like if no. this were in the soundtrack to a movie, it might be like the start of an alien invasion mm-hmm. or something. Because it is or, so discordant. Like you don't mm-hmm. know. Like I feel like we're so conditioned towards like the pleasantries of pop music, just kind of you know caressing your eardrums, mm-hmm. and so you know what you're getting into from the get. Yeah, with this song, it yeah it, it hits strangely in the beginning, and then the actual song starts, and it's not at all it's where not I thought it was going to go. <laughs> she gets no, to the chorus, not- and I'm like, still not the song I thought this is going to be. <laughs> It's, it is such a song of the 80s. Like, it could only have come out, I think, at this time. Because, like, to your point, it, it, so it's so hard to place. You don't know where the song is going. Like, to your point about, um, you know, the way we're conditioned to sort of pop um, themes. If the song is going to be sad or dramatic, there's a little, you know that it's going to be, there's a little bit of minor key, you know, foreshadowing, maybe in the intro, if it's going to be happy, it's usually very bright. And this is both bright and minor and not and, and, and major. It's It just jumps around. Like I said, it feels weirdly like country or honky tonky in a way yeah. that only some of the there are certain songs from the 80s. And uh, forgive me, I could not find them because I could not remember what they were. My point of reference is Asian family 
in the 80s doing karaoke or like in the 90s you go to a karaoke bar and people will pick songs to sing and you're like what is this song and you're and you know and you know it but you're like these songs are so weird that people sing sometimes right that were popular yeah mostly from the 80s and it's like kind of country-ish like there was a weird pop country vibe through some of the music at the time right and it, it it's just so strange so that, that it, it kind of reminded me of that however listening it back to back with physical i'm like oh it's very clearly from the same person mm, okay. and it sort of makes sense with olivia newton john olivia newton john has a lot of her stuff is kind of country inflected right like mm-hmm. right it was that was kind of her thing she was like country she was like western from australia <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, she was kind of pop country from Australia. I know, like, very little about Olivia Newton-John, I'm sad to say, but... I don't really like Olivia Newton-John. Her voice was always so thin to me. I, mean, I love Xanadu. I Xanadu's great. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, then yeah. I know that um, her, her husband faked his death and like, uh, <sighs> some kind of crazy made-for-TV movie drama level intrigue. How did that ever resolve? I, wasn't I think she they found. Investigation? I think they found him. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very it it's very ripped from the pages of like a episode of CSI or like like he mm. disappeared from a boat. Right, they were on a boat together, and she woke up the next morning, and he had quote unquote drowned. He mm. fell off the side of the boat. Who else fell off the side of a boat? Natalie Wood. Did Natalie Wood fall yeah, off? The, yeah. Well, people think it was Robert Wagner. Listen, people, don't get on a boat. Because Miss Robert Ms. Wagner and Christopher Walken wasn't it the two of them? Was it Christopher Walken? Whose whose house did uh, Roman Polanski? Oh, is that Jack Nicholson's house? Mm-hmm, Sorry, so. we're 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 going we're into like digressing. Our... <laughs> we're becoming our own version of the old gays, just talking about showbiz deaths. And anyway, the the lesson here is don't don't get on a boat um, with Olivia Newton John with Olivia Newton John. And um, also don't try to work with the same songwriters as Olivia no, and John. Because it will not work for you. I mean, it's, 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 it's got that same vibe. And I was also listening. So Cher's voice in I Paralyze has this kind of interesting metallic echo. It's very tight, but it's, it's sort of like singing in a tin shed, like mm-hmm. a gardening shed. It's not like... You know when you sing in an empty church or an empty warehouse, if you just like say something, there's like a kind of full reverb. This one's much closer. It's much tighter. And it I mean, it has kind of a signature 80s sound to me, but it also mm-hmm. maybe sounds like she's talking to you through a telephone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very different from what we think of with Cher because Cher's voice is usually treated very warmly because it does have a lot of depth. It's a, her voice is very rich and it's very strong. It's surprisingly strong. I think because people think that because she has such a low register, her contralto um, is so prominent that like she can't like you forget that she can belt. Right. Like because mm-hmm. a lot of people when they sing low, you you kind of have to pull back a little bit. That's really where all her strength is. And so it, it really just it kind of challenges all these things. All of that being said, the more I listen to this song, the more I like it. It is so weird. It's just so strange. And it's jaunty in a way. It's fun. It's funky. It's discordant. It, Yeah, th- th- there is something like... I, I I listened to this song like 
half a dozen times. It might show up next year on my uh, Spotify <laughs> uh, recap, my Spotify wrapped for 2022. Um, and yet it is that thing, though, I, you know, I, I talked about it at the beginning that in my old age, I'm coming around to all of these musical sounds that as a kid I thought were so lame Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is like that prime era of like 82 where exactly for a lot of those reasons that you talked about with like the strange sound of her voice, like the the production on her voice, the weird combination of instruments and, you know, rhythms and chords. You know, I, th- I think they're all things that I, as a kid, like I didn't appreciate or I thought were just so unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I. To a certain extent, I still think this song sounds unpleasant, but I kind of mm-hmm. like it. It's mm-hmm. kind of like when you learn to appreciate the taste of like, um, like Brussels sprouts, like the Brussels sprouts renaissance that we're in right now. You know, it's 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 like prepared a different way. You have a different appreciation for it. Yeah, it's not steamed. <laughs> I'm 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 thinking of like this song feels like it belongs in the same family as like Dolly Parton. And Kenny Rogers' Islands in the Stream. Interesting. Like, okay. if you pulled the melody out, it would almost be like, you could almost see, like, if you took out some of the discordant synthiness, it's almost a similar vibe. <laughs> like, not similar vibe, but it's like, you think about Islands in the Stream, that is a weird song, too. Like, it sounds weird. Is it? I don't know. It's just, it doesn't, I, it's a classic. Like, I'm used to it. Like, I, I appreciate that song. It just it like just the the structure of it is okay. interesting. I, I don't know. It's it's a, <laughs> I, I guess what I want to say is like it's it's eighties in that way. It's like quirky. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're like what is that? Like how did that this song get made? Yeah, like, you know like how it, it works, really, but it looks strange. It really actually reminds me of um, the Pointer Sisters. Mm. Maybe I'll talk about the Pointer Sisters at some point in the in the. We in, should because I don't I I I know very little about the Pointer Sisters. I love some of their songs, but I know nothing about them. Well, and that's the funny thing is that for so many years, my perception of the Pointer Sisters was established by kind of like their big hits, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I'm so excited. And Slow Hand, right? I mean, for me, it was always I'm so excited and jump. Well, but see, this is this is where it gets interesting because like I know Slow Hand because that was more like what my aunt listened to. Okay. I, I think, well, I, and I think that depending upon what little Venn diagram of Pointer Sisters songs you know, mm-hmm. that forms like a, a completely different picture of like who the Pointer Sisters were. But like when I started like listening to a lot of other Pointer Sisters songs. And then I, I think I heard an interview with the Pointer Sisters where they talked about the fact that the Pointer Sisters by and large broke all the rules of genre. Like they crossed genres. They were making country songs and rock songs and soul songs and funk songs, you know? And so to listen to their full discography, especially throughout like the late seventies and into the eighties, like the types of music you get from them feel strange in the way that this 1982 share album feels strange Mm, because to my ear, to my, you know, child of the eighties ear anyway, it's it's hard to place the genre. It's like, what is this genre of music that I'm listening to when everything else seems so clear cut, right? Like 70s, you get disco share. 60s. Well, 
Yeah, let let's talk about that because because it's it's interesting. We get disco share, and that's iconic as well. We'll, we'll talk about it in one second. I want to get to that. Okay. Because um, <laughs> one last thing about about the song. A couple last things about about this song. There's there's you know talking about not knowing where it goes. There's a bridge section of the song that kind of I was like this reminds me of like Toto and Africa. You know that song, mm-hmm. the rains in Africa. I looked it up and it came out the same year. Oh. So I was like, oh, okay, the vibe is very similar, right? Like, the, I was like, huh. It was like kind of like pan flute or whatever. I don't know. There's some <laughs> weird, like, you know, again, just throwing everything at the wall with with these songs. Um, I also was listening to this and I was like, what else has a weird discordant intro that kind of transitioned into a song that you don't expect? Mm-hmm. I thought, no doubts, I'm just a girl. At the beginning, it huh, and I was like, huh, that's an interesting connection. It's it's not they're not they're not perfect, but it's it's got like a, it sounds ominous. It could be ominous. It could be fun. You know what I mean? Like at the beginning, and then it kind of, it transitions a little bit later. It doesn't transition as jarringly as I paralyze, but when you get to the chorus of "I'm just a girl," it's very different from the intro, right? And so. There was that similarity to me um, that I that I just thought was was interesting. The rest of the album, um, the rest of the album is much more. If you liked Mermaids, Cher, you know when Cher does um, the Shoop Shoop song, the Shoop Shoop song, okay, which is much later. It's like in the nineties, right? And you think about that as being sort of Cher doing updated girl group phil specter pop rock right it because it because it because it's a girl groupy thing but it's like with 90s 80s 90s aesthetic yeah didn't, not really my favorite i'm not saying it's look barry i see your <laughs> face all i'm saying is the rest of the album is more like that so like there's a song called rudy and it's so funny because it goes <laughs> when she opens the line she's like rudy toot and i was watching someone who was like breaking down this album they're like does she say Rudy Toot? <laughs> and she does. Huh. And you get it because like, I guess in the chorus, she goes, Rudy Toot, 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 Toot. You know, but like in the opening line, she just says Rudy Toot. <laughs> <It's really funny>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but some of the other songs are pretty good. There's there's uh, Rudy. I think there was one, I'm Back on the Street Again, which is, which is really fun. The rest of the album does not sound like I Paralyze. So... Worth a listen, worth a spin. And the reason I think that this is, I mean, this song was not, it was not cool enough for the moment and it did not gel with her brand. And that's what I wanted to get into. You were mentioning Disco Share. I I kind of want to say like why it didn't work for Mm -hmm. her at this point in time, because it's, it's fine. What I didn't realize was if you go on Spotify and a lot of us, I think these days we look at Spotify as sort of the Bible for an artist's discography you don't think about the gaps, right? There are in the so in the 70s, Cher was trying to transform into a rock star, right? She'd been with Sonny. She had been with as part of Sonny and Cher from 1965 to 1974. And they had started off as sort of that um they were kind of flower children, right? Like flower, you know, with their sort of upbeat, positive pop with um uh 
I've Got You, Babe, mm-hmm. right? It's their iconic song, one of the most famous songs. The beat goes on. They were sort of beatnik-y. They were kind of weird. They were always kind of weird. Um, lots of suede vests and tassels. Ferv- she, she clarified. She clarified it was Bobcat she was wearing. Okay. <laughs> which I was like, oh, sure. Very important distinction to make. <laughs> yeah, she was like, no, it wasn't. It was Bobcat. And I was like, okay. So watching this interview was really funny. Um, um, but, you know, by the end of the 60s, by 69, you know, things had changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Vietnam War, political message, like anti-war rock was more the thing. And they were just, they had lost their footing. They, like no one cared about their sort of upbeat, positive pop. So they'd started like a lounge act to get by. And that's where the Sonny and Cher show came about. A TV exec saw them, saw their banter. Um, they So they had gone from the fur vests to gowns and tuxedos because they had to perform in these nightclubs. And that's where you start getting this glammed up version of Cher that didn't exist before, the, before 1970. Mm-hmm. So they go on, they do this TV show. It's the Sonny and Cher show and or Sonny and Cher comedy hour. And it is a huge hit. Top 10, 30 million people a week watching this show. They became instant, like, superstars, right? Mm -hmm. And they also, they became, like, this model for, like, being the model family. Because their their daughter, uh, or she was Chastity at the time, um, was coming out. um, They would bring her out on the the stage Mm -hmm. and, 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 and all that. Um. The whole time they were, they were like, I, I think maybe for like the first season they were okay, but by the second season they were completely like living separate lives or, you know, they, they lived in the same, famously they lived in the same house in separate wings, but Sonny had his girlfriend on one side and then she lived by herself and then with other boyfriends on the other side, but they would still come out and do this show and, you know, parade around like this family. Um, Again, still very popular, but like eventually it cracked, they separated um, Sonny comes out with his own show, which is a failure, and um, it's canceled after 13 weeks. Cher comes out with her own show. It's just called The Cher Show, and it is a smash. And this is where, and, and from this and The Sonny and Cher Show, this is where she started collaborating with Bob Mackie, and she becomes mm-hmm. famous for, like, people tuned in to see what she was wearing every week. And that became that became a part of her image, this glamorous um funny talented you know diva like there wasn't anyone really like her just festooned with crystals festooned (laughs) with crystals the long shiny straight hair that completely different voice from anyone who was doing anything like that at the time um she also used it as an opportunity to act right because she there are a lot of skits and so if you watch any if you ever catch any like there's a share retrospective or if there, you, you go to a share concert or, or even on TV when they play clips of, of stuff like, and you see her acting as different things with like um, maybe Tina Turner's on or Bette Midler's there or whatever. This all came from the share show. It only had like, I think it was like one season. Like mm-hmm. it was very short, but like they crammed a lot in there. Her first guest star was Elton John. Like, I mean, they, they crammed a lot in there while she's doing this show. She's releasing music. The first couple of years were popular. She had ha- she had Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, which became w- her biggest hit. Um, you have Half Breed, My God, and Dark, Cher, and Dark Lady. Good gray, good gravy. 
right? In 1973. <laughs> well, someone wrote Halfbreed for her. I know. Um, I mean, she's talking about what people used to call her. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. Wait, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. What's first? And then it's Halfbreed, and then uh, Dark Lady in 1974. Okay. So she becomes synonymous with this sort of narrative pop that's, like, playing on her image. Yeah. Right? So this is... Can she still sing Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves or Halfbreed? Probably not, right? um, Like, she did in 2018 at the Vegas show that we saw, and it was fantastic. Good God. (laughs) You know, she, I I remember she chose uh, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves over. um, (sighs) Who's the actress that plays Mama from Mama's Family? Vicki Lawrence. Vicki Lawrence. Vicki Lawrence has a song called The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. It's by the same songwriter as Gypsies, Tramps, mm-hmm. and Thieves. It's that mm-hmm. story. It's that kind of uh, folksy, country-ish, but still mm-hmm. pop music, storytelling mm-hmm. type of song. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I think Cher chose Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves over The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. Mm. I mean, so what they... So, <laughs> I mean, the key here, the key, the, key, the reason okay. is, this is where she's starting to pull away from Sunny. Because Sunny has like dictated all of her musical choices and all of the creative direction. Famously, he had when they when they filed for divorce, she discovered that she was listed as an employee of the Share Corporation, uh-huh. um, whose president was Sunny and whose vice president was their lawyer. And she was just getting paid a salary. She didn't own any of it. Jesus. And so, you know, you watch, I watched the behind the music last night just to kind of freshen up. And, you know, he's like, well, I did it all out of love, you know? And you're like, what? Like, so she was pissed. Uh, Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves, Halfbreed and Dark Lady were another producer. Snuffy, uh, Snuff, I forget, Duffy. (laughs) Snuffy. His name is like Snuffy. And he figured out that he needed to tap into this sort of exoticism that Cher represented. Because remember, in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, there's no one that looks like Cher on TV, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's like Diana Shore. It's, you know, all of these, you know, mostly blondes, right? Very non-ethnic looking presenters and celebrities, right? Um, With the exception maybe of Barbara Streisand, but that's different. And she wasn't hosting a show. She did a couple specials, but she wasn't hosting a show. With Cher, people were able to project. If if you were if you didn't fit the mold, people were able to project themselves onto her, mm. right? Whether they were Native American or Latina or, you know, whatever. People, she was sort of ambiguous, you know, especially with that long dark hair. That was just not what people had at the time. <laughs> that was not that was not the uh, epitome of beauty at the time, or considered the beauty standard. Sorry. <laughs> what? Sorry, I'm going to go back to something that we were talking about just like a couple uh-huh. of minutes ago about Sunny um and the Share Corporation and Share not having ownership over her own name. But like mm-hmm. not to defend Sunny or anything, but that just reminded me like you know like back in the 70s women couldn't even mm-hmm. have a credit card. Yeah. With that, yeah. like, if you were a single woman and wanted a credit card, you needed to bring a man with you to the bank mm-hmm. to co like to co-sign with on a credit card with you to basically yeah. guarantee that you were responsible enough to pay off your debts. Um, not that that's neither here or there, but it just reminded me of that. But like, I'm sure that there was 
a systemic like structure around the sure. formation of the share corporation, not just to shield share, but also mm-hmm. to kind of, um, you know, damage, not damage share, but to cripple shares access to her own name. Yeah. I mean, power, it's, you it's yeah, you're, you're right. And, and I think that this is part of that, you know, it doesn't change until the seventies, right. That, 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 you know, the late seventies were like women can, 1974 women can get their own credit cards i I think this is but this is part of that right this is that sort of public awareness starting to be of like what like what this like you need you need things like this to happen right yeah people are coming to this realization kind of at the same time as the you know to to, to drive change and also the man's name was snuff garrett i'm sorry okay Snuff. Good old Snuff. He was he was recruited because every time Sonny tried to revive their you know, their their TV show was super popular, but every time he tried to revive their um their music careers, like it didn't go anywhere. And Snuff Garrett um worked with like he's the one who found this this lane that capitalized on her image and her persona and these sort of narrative songs that played with that to um to great success. Like these songs, these three songs had no involvement from Sonny. So 1974, they divorce. And, you know, the important thing to realize about Cher at this point is Cher wants to be a rock star. She's, she's, this is, this is her, this is now her goal. And so she, while she's getting divorced, like during the divorce proceedings from Sonny, she begins a two-year relationship with David Geffen. Now, David Geffen famously now is billionaire, gay billionaire David Geffen. Ah. He was not openly gay at the time. Or maybe he was. I don't know. But they were together for two years. And he sets about trying to make her... Because he was he was a... Um, he was already a record producer at the time. So he... That's how he got his start in the music industry. And so he sets about trying to... Make share this rock, uh, this rock star. She has three albums from 1975 to 1977 that are considered to be the lowest point of her career <laughs> while she's doing this. Okay, I mean, at the time they were not they were they were truly not received well. Thanks, David because, Geffen. Well, part of because of because of the public persona that she'd cultivated, mm-hmm. like no one was taking her seriously in like serious rock stuff. But they are now considered to be among her best work. So if you go back there, so I was talking earlier about how Spotify or or sometimes you know you go to these these music streaming services and you look at an artist's discography and you think, okay, this is comprehensive. These three albums are not available on. Spotify, but you can find them on YouTube. And I listened to them. There's one called Stars. Stars was a covers album that came out in 1975. And it was her first, the first thing that she did with David Geffen. And she essentially does covers. They're kind of, they're ballads mostly of like Eric Clapton, um, Neil Diamond, Janice Ian. They're really good. It sounds very good, but like you can't find it anywhere. She apparently owns the Masters now. And so she's starting to re-release them. Mm -hmm. But in retrospect they've they've come to be acknowledged as some of her best work now some of them are not there's there's like cherished which came out at that time it's the only album that doesn't have her name because they said that cherished was like a play on her name but but there's a song in there called um pirate and i 
we have to find a way to share it. It, it, If you've seen some pictures of Cher where she's dressed in like weird pirate gear, that was for this album. It is a very strange song. It is similar to like um, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. It's like that same sort of thing, but it's about a man named Pirate. Okay. And she's like, I know, I know you'll never, I'll never be enough for you. You belong to the sea or something. (laughs) This is like, Oh, this is from when Cher looked like she was modeling for like um, Party City costume yeah, packaging. Exactly, exactly for like Party City where she belongs. She was also <laughs> she also during this time had married Greg Allman, the Allman Band, who had very public uh, struggled very publicly with heroin addiction, and at this point they released an album together, and it was just called like Allman and Woman. That was like the <laughs> the name of like. Again, like trying to like get away from the shareness yeah. of it, but like it was also critically panned. So when you talk about by the time you get to 1977, 1978, 1979, and you talk about sh- disco share, she didn't want to do disco. No, oh, she was just she pandering. did not like disco. She was pandering because she'd had a string of failures. So she comes out with ta- she signs to Casablanca Records, which is a famous like sort of disco label. And she puts out Take Me Home. They do a whole special, like televised special to promote it. And um, it's like her next hit. It's like a a number one hit. And so she immediately follows that up with um, Prisoner, which was not a great album. No one thinks it's a great album. Also, the cover of Prisoner, she looks like a sex slave. She's like chained in a dungeon. She's like basically naked. And human rights groups were very upset. Hmm. Um, But there's a song... Another thing that I want to, I mean, it's like I I went down this rabbit hole of just like, what? There is a song on there. It's a follow-up to Take Me Home. It is a disco song I did not know that Cher did. It's called Hell on Wheels. It only hit like number 59. Um, They just last November, November 21, 2021, released a high-def remastered version of this video. And it's Cher in like, zebra print and hot pink leotard or bodysuit on roller skates (laughs) skating down the road she's being like followed by two truckers they get to this town where there's some kind of like traffic congestion and it's every gay stereotype Every gay like archetype, I guess you could say, not stereotype, um, is there. There's the construction worker. There's the police officer. There's the cowboy. There are two drag queens in an open top convertible. <laughs> and at the end, she's like, "Oh, if you can dig it or whatever, like come with skate, roll with me or whatever, like that." And they all go rolling off down the road in this one big parade. There's a police officer. It is super gay. Like I was, I've. I've never, I was like, what is this? Have I never seen this before? <laughs> and it's actually a really fun song. It's called Hell on Wheels. And again, it didn't do anything. So that marked the end of her disco, her disco era. It was just two albums. Um, but it's, you start to see that it's like the beginning of Cher is like leaning into her gay icon status mm-hmm. because it was clearly done with the gays like it wasn't like making fun of them like it was clearly done with them mm-hmm. and apparently so at the same time that she's releasing this disco stuff she's also performing in vegas earning three hundred thousand dollars a week in 1979 which is amazing um and she brought two drag performers to perform with her at her show in vegas so like it's all this all happening at the same time she still wants to be a rock person 
So she, in like she forms in like 79, she forms a rock band. Okay. And she's like the vocalist. It's called Black Rose. But like she they didn't credit her as the vocalist because she wanted it to be like everyone gets equal billing. Like she didn't want to take away from it. Mm-hmm. Did not do well. <laughs> Did not do well. So they scrapped that. The single before I Paralyze that she that she features on and is bizarrely not credited with. She does a duet with, in 1981 with Meatloaf. Okay. Called Dead Ringer for Love. And on the album, on so Meatloaf was huge at the at that time. Or he 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 had had like three years before had had um Bad Out of Hell. And so that went 14 times platinum in the US. And then the next one didn't do that well. So he's like running around trying to find shit to do. And Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. So Dead Ringer for Love is like a song out of Rocky Horror Picture Show. It is crazy rock. Cher is the female vocalist, but she is not credit. Like it, it like it's like only in the liner notes it says like guest vocals Cher. Mm. And like she never performed the song. There's no footage of them ever performing it live. She appears in the video though, which you can find on YouTube, and it is crazy and amazing because it's like rock musical, Rocky Horror. It's like sounds like a like some. It's very theatrical, and um, it's written by Jim Steinman, who's the same one who did "I Do Anything for Love." He did um, uh, "It's All Coming Back to Me Now" for Celine Dion. You know known for these kind of over-the-top rock songs. Mm-hmm. So she does this, and you start seeing her, like, rock persona. That's Hell on Wheels. She has the big hair. And then, but that's, like, in disco. And now Meatloaf, she's got the big hair, and she's got, like, the leather mini skirt and the leather jacket, and she's, like, in a biker bar. So it's, like, it's kind of crazy. Like, then you get I Paralyze, and it's, like, what is this? This doesn't match any of this, right? So, mm-hmm. like, if you take it into context, people are, like, what the fuck is she doing? The same time, all 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 the while, she had moved to New York to like learn acting, and she uh, Mike Nichols saw her in a Broadway performance. She she had a small role in a Broadway play called um, "Come Back to the Five and Dime," Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, and so she has a dramatic role there. Mike Nichols, the famous director, catches a matinee and afterwards asks her, "Hey." would you like to be in a movie with Meryl Streep and Kurt Russell? And she says, yes. And that became Silkwood. And so after, immediately after uh, I Paralyze comes out, because she's like, she was promoting, she only promoted it in two appearances. She did Solid Gold and she did American Bandstand with Dick Dick Clark. Mm -hmm. And he asked her, what are you doing? She's like, well, actually I'm leaving to go film this movie with Meryl Streep and and Kurt Russell. And he's like, oh. You work hard? <laughs> it's like he's got like the dumbest questions for her. Like she was about to get really interesting and he just kind of cuts her off. Um, so she goes and does that. She focuses on her music on her on her film career, wins a Golden Globe and an Oscar and industry respect, comes back in 1987 with the Cher album, uh, and the which is the certified gold. So it was a actual success at the time. And with she had the hit single, I Found Someone, which I learned was written by Michael Bolton. Oh. So Michael Bolton is responsible for Cher's resurgence in the 80s. As a rock icon. As a rock icon of a kind. So that's all I wanted to say. Like, dig into Cher. I'm going to 
try we're trying to work with you to put together like some of these playlists and mm-hmm. like some of these songs in some way because it really is fascinating um because i didn't know all of these just all of this material and all the things that she was doing right so um as much as i love share i've seen her twice um i or th- yeah, twice um i i do really enjoy her but um didn't know all of this so it was really interesting to get into yeah it sounds like there's a lot to share story that you know because it was a pre-digital era like it's just kind of lost to us maybe we didn't realize it was happening because we were you know not born yet <laughs> um you know like well, i think it- the whole trajectory of share trying to make inroads into rock music where you know i think popularly we think of disco share as being a classic moment in Cher's career and to know that like oh at the same time she was actually trying to do something completely different mm-hmm. live, live her live her rock and roll fantasy mm-hmm. was she living yeah, living living uh living a star is born in her in her real life right with Gre- yeah, greg I mean, allman like, uh, greg allman and then i think right after greg allman and as she started doing the uh take me home and prisoner um she was with gene simmons of kiss at the time <laughs> like like she was had become notorious like like her dating life was so in the news that like it was very hard for people at the time to take her seriously mm-hmm. because it was just like you know i mean look she was with david geffen while she was getting divorced from Sonny. And like, if you put it in the context that like, they had been on a TV show and brought out their daughter at the end of every episode, (laughs) like as like, here we are, this American family, like people felt they didn't know what to think. Right. And especially in the seventies. So, but also I think to your point about like, we came to share maybe later. Right. And, and because we weren't alive, obviously. And you look at it sometimes through the lens of retrospectives, which sort of, like some of the iconic imagery, like from some of these albums that we see um, when they talk about Cher and it's like these beautiful glamorous photos. I didn't realize those were album shoots for albums that were commercial flops. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I, you would have just thought, oh, these, you know, she was taking these glamorous photos. She must have been on top this whole time. And it's like, well, no, they're not going to talk about how, you know, she was her career was almost dead for 10 years. You know, like <laughs> they they're sure she was taking photos at the time but like you wouldn't know it from the photo right so i I do think that that's interesting too because you you kind of get this sort of retroactive this retconning of uh history a little bit that like you've always been successful Mm -hmm. so give it a listen i paralyze stars uh cherished prisoner oh, oh hell on wheels and dead ringer for love dead ringer for love yeah get She's that got an amazing voice get that playlist together we'll post it to our website yep. for everyone to listen to hopefully everything we can find I'm, I'm curious to know if like we'll ever see her release those as of yet undigitized albums yeah, yeah. all right all right well thank you for that uh yes listen to share sorry i'm like scrolling around my screen we need to get a lot better about like not telegraphing what we're doing when we're talking because i realize like sometimes when we talk i'm like making weird sounds with my face Mm. because i'm like scrolling around my computer and you can like Mm. it doesn't make sense to a listener to hear me pulling um windows around my computer because you mean like what you're doing right now exactly what i'm doing right now (laughs) anyway you know what uh jason get that playlist over to me so that people can listen to these excellent share songs because you know what what songs and videos will be featured on our website flopredeemer.com 
That was clever. It, it is, right? Except for the fact that I forgot to lead off with our special thanks. <laughs> as per the script in our Excel spreadsheet. Um, special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. We're done, right? Yeah, we're done. Okay, cool. Special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos, as I already mentioned, will be featured on our website, uh, flopperhumor.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social media at Flopperdeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash Flopperdeemer. As always, email us at flopperdeemer at gmail.com. Um, and Jason will look at the subject line. I'll review it. I'll review it. I'll review it. Pass it. He'll pass it on to me. Take it under advisement. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye.